That ball hit deep. Way back. Wells at the ball. Looks up. You can put it on the board. Yes. Who wants the bunt? It's time. Live. Now it's time for the moment Mercy. you've been waiting for. Mercy. In the entertainment capital of the world. That ball hit high and deep at the wall. He looks up. You can put it on the board. The TC Martin Show. Yes! 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 History! It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, TC Martin. Call your sons, call your daughters, call your friends, call your neighbors. The doctor is now in. Yes! Yes! No truth to the rumor that all of those home run and heavy hit highlights came against the Angels bullpen, but give it time, folks. Man, I'm telling you, baseball season has arrived. I couldn't be happier. As I get older, I become more of a baseball fan, I guess. As you get a little bit older, you become a traditionalist. Welcome to the T.C. Martin Show, everybody. I'm Scott Spritzer with Marco D'Angelo, G-Man on the controls at the site. And, of course, back at the studio, we got Nunchuck, and we got a big show to talk about. We're filling in for T.C. Martin. He took off to Houston. He said, you guys work for me. I'm going to go have a great time in Houston for the next few days. Uh, we will hear from TC a little bit later in the show, around 3.30 Pacific time. And I'm sure from some local restaurant, you know what he's going to be doing, Marco. It's going to be a lot of ribs. That's what we're betting on, right? Ribs and some pulled pork and all that good stuff. And uh, he will be with us to talk a little Final Four, talk a little Houston Astros, whining and dining with Dusty at some point this weekend, right. Dusty Baker, I'm sure. And uh, But for everybody who doesn't know, TC is in Texas for both the Final Four a little bit of baseball action. He will be back on Monday. He's going to host the show from Houston uh, before he uh, heads to the arena for the championship game. So we'll get everybody's thoughts. Doug Upstone's going to join us at 2.30 today to talk a little bit of baseball. One of my favorite baseball minds out there, Upstone. And, of course, we'll hear from John Murray from the uh, Westgate Superbook. So, man, we got a lot to talk about. A packed show. Baseball opening day takeaways from both Marco and I. We'll hear from Doug Upstone around 2.30, as I mentioned. The guy spins, Marco, every single March in spring training, Cactus League in Arizona, and I'm very envious of that, but he always calls and he's always telling me, hey, watch out for this the first yeah, week of the yeah. regular season. It certainly does help you out when you're paying attention in spring training. I used to go every year with uh, our good friend Brian Leonard. Sure. We used to go for a week. In, uh, I haven't been there since COVID. Uh, we had a conflict in schedule this year. Brian did make it out there, but it's a fun time. Uh, you know, I love going that, that week and you know, a lot of foods involved, and uh, Brian and I have talked about it before. We would pick what ball game we were going to that day in spring training based on what we were hungry for. If it was Skyline <laughs> Chili, we were going to see a Reds game and Love so it. forth. And uh, good times. It's fun, and, you know, you get to see the players uh, early on. The only thing I don't like about spring training is when you end up at a ballpark and you find out you got a split squad. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, it, it, that's not fun. Yeah, you're, you got a split squad game. You're not sure who you're going to see. You're probably going to see more than half the players on that particular split squad who's not going to be seen for at least the full upcoming season uh, at the major league level. But you know what? It's funny because I'm a triple-A guy. I just love baseball. You know, I'm out there Tuesday night uh, at the new ballpark by the Red Rock Casino. Uh, for the uh, UNLV Arizona State game, you know, and, and just a baseball nut, and we'll be out there probably the opening Sunday at 12 yeah. Pacific time, uh, which will be, I think it's April 9th, the opening day out there. But uh, so as long as there's some, you know, libations around and some good food, <laughs> you can always, you know, make a day out of a split squad game. It's a little unfortunate, but you can make up for it, certainly. Marco and I used to do a show together. Gosh, it's been, what, probably, well, we did the show with Matt Holt yeah. around 2017 or so. And before that, we did a daily mm. show uh, on ESPN Local back right. then. And uh, and so, Marco, of course, with wagertalk.com. And, and it was a blast. We had some great runs, some great shows over there. So it's good to be working with Marco again. And I want to get to baseball in a little bit. As I mentioned, when Doug Upstone joins us by phone, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about what he saw on opening day, the rules changes, things yeah. like that. Before you and I jump into some Final Four talk, I just got to ask you your thoughts on the pitch clock. I think out of everything that's been done for me, and I know I did uh, the show with TC yesterday for a few minutes, and we both agreed that we have a problem with this non-organic speeding up of the game. Are you for or against the pitch clock? Well, I, I'm going to say I'm for both and against. Where I like it, when there's nobody on base and you're just sitting there drawing things out, you know, time. 
yeah, keep the game moving along. Sure. But we did see, you know, I was telling you before we come on the air, there was a situation last night, and it seemed to affect the pitcher. It was in a crucial part of the game. It was a scoreless game in the eighth inning. Got the uh, pitch clock violation. Uh, didn't get a call on a third strike that was a foul ball uh, that the catcher dropped, but they called it a ball. And uh, ended up the batter got walked. Next guy got hit by a pitch, and then boom, uh, home run. And you're you're talking three nothing with you know a game that was a pitcher's duel uh, the whole way. Now we're talking the Cleveland Seattle game. So I think maybe whenever the game's on the line, you got you know a scoreless game or one run game. I'm not a fan of it because I think you you want the pitcher to do everything. Now if somebody's thrown to first base, you know six or seven times, it, it gets ridiculous, but. I'll be curious to hear what Doug has to say. You know, that's got to help the base stealing for this year. That, that one rule change, that coupled with the base, the size of the bases. Yeah, they shaved off 32 minutes per game on average from last year's opening day with yesterday's opening day for 2023. Base stealing, both attempts and success rate, was way up. It was like 23 opportunities or attempts, and they stole. They were successful 21 out of the 23. Last year it was 6 for 11 among all of Major League Baseball. So you go from a 54.5% success rate to a 91% success rate uh, with some of these rule changes on the bases. I guess the problem I have with the clock a little bit, the pitch clock, is the fact that it, and I'm sure we'll all get used to it. Mm -hmm. It'll take a month or so. Last night, we're not used to it. We're used to seeing guys lollygag on the mound. And if you watched uh, Bull Durham, you know what that makes yeah. you. It makes you a lollygagger. Yeah. So I'd sit there and watch the, you know, the game last night, and it felt like everything was like rushed. We've got to get this game in. we got to get this. That's what it felt like. Let's beat the rain is almost what it felt like you know, back in the day. So I, I, it'll take some time getting used to. I don't mind a two-hour and 45-minute game. I just hated like three out of the first four or five games yesterday afternoon. We're done in like 2.25. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to fly somewhere, Marco, if I want to take the time to get a hotel, fly somewhere, hang out in some city that I haven't been to in a while to see a baseball game, if I go to PNC to see that most awesome ballpark yeah. that I've yet to be to yet, I don't want to go there in two hours and 15 minutes later. I'm walking over the bridge you know, to go back to the hotel or whatever. I just want to see a full 2.45 or three hours of baseball. I don't know that cutting it down is going to help bring in new, younger viewers. You either like baseball or you don't, as far as I'm concerned. No, I agree with you 100%. Now, because of the rule changes, you're going to have the overreaction to what people saw on the first day. And you know that uh, from the days that we did the show... I, you know, I'm out and about. I like to go to, you know, a local bar, watch a game, or I'm playing poker. And I, I always quote John Q. Public. Okay, <laughs> those are my people out there. You know, okay? you can't get more John Q. Public when you're sitting at a poker table because right. everybody's an authority on everything. <laughs> but uh, sitting at the bar last night, in the game that was on the tube was the St. Louis game, and obviously it was a high scoring game. And these guys, I'm listening to guys talking over their beer, and he goes, "Yeah." All these rule changes, there's going to be overs all over the place. It's you know, it's like, don't overreact to one day. And right. even with because we had some really high scoring games yesterday, they, the over was eight and seven. We've been doing this forever, Scott. I don't. You'll get runs where something's going to be dominant for maybe two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Yeah. Sure. When we get to the end of the season, everything falls in that forty-eight to fifty-two percent range generally it all comes back to the norm and i just don't get caught up in seeing something one day and make it be oh that's that's gospel now well these darn bookmakers you know like jay here at the Westgate, of course john marino you know they happen to be a little sharp (laughs) and so you know if they haven't adjusted for everything as the season begins they certainly will after they see a little bit of action too and all of a sudden they make life a little bit tougher don't like those guys you know but uh anyway I, I wanted to ask you about the Final Four a little bit. We'll die, you and I will give out our plays for the Final Four later in the show, like when TC's on and yeah, that last half hour, we'll all jump in and give our plays. But I want to ask your thoughts about the dance thus far because it is. You know, we heard people going into the dance. This is going to be the most wide-open dance we've ever seen. Anybody can win it. We've heard that before. This time it's for real. And I'm watching the dance, and I heard an interview, I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, my friends uh, Matt Humans and, and Tim Murray had uh, Mike Bray, the former Notre Dame coach, on as a guest. Spent about 10, 15 minutes talking about what's going on in the dance. And I thought Mike Bray made a great comment or had a very good opinion that this is what happens when college basketball gets old. And it wasn't an insult. And by old, he said, 
having guys that are 23, 24 years old now because of the COVID year, as opposed to everybody being in that 18 to 21, 22-year-old range. So you see, you know, some of these teams that have guys that, if you know, that have never been this far before, obviously, but they're not only physically more mature, they're emotionally more mature, and they can handle the big stage a little bit better than an 18-year-old. Absolutely. And, you know, I did a show earlier this week, you know, for Wager Talk, and one of the things I said, embrace this Final Four. Everybody, you know, are saying, oh, the ticket sales are the cheapest that they've ever been for Final Four because there's not interest because of, the you know, a couple of the teams that are there. I'm glad that the breakdown worked out that we have Miami and Connecticut playing one another, and we have Florida Atlantic and San Diego sure. State playing one. So one Cinderella is going to be in the championship game, right. whether it's Florida Atlantic or it's San Diego State. But embrace those two teams, Scott, because for me, COVID was one of the reasons why people have been on. There's no um, coincidence that these two teams both started the season with four returning starters. The experience level got them to where they are. This is something we saw a few times back in the day. Remember when Butler made a great run sure. in, in the championship uh, year? They went deep. We saw it several times with Gonzaga from a mid-major, but I don't even know if you can call Gonzaga mid-major anymore because right. they're, they're here every year. But Loyola, Chicago, the Sister Jean run and everything. Yeah. You will not see with today's, in my opinion, in today's college landscape with the NILs and the transfer portal, these teams like Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, they're not going to keep those players because what's going to happen is they might get guys that are just a notch below because they didn't get the scholarship at the big college, but they played together and they excelled. Well, somebody's always going to be at the top of that crop from that team. They're going to be very attractive pickup if they go the transfer portal uh, avenue or if they just want to get bought with an <laughs> NIL. So I don't think you're going to see these kinds. So embrace this game on Saturday with San Diego State and Florida Atlantic, because I am, and I'm glad one of them is going to be playing for the national championship. I 100% agree with you that I don't think this is going to be the new way that college basketball mm-hmm. is done when it comes to the big dance for all the reasons you mentioned. I think it's going to be probably a one-time thing. And, and I was talking you know, again with TC yesterday, and he's kind of like agreed with what I was saying, Mark. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I, I don't mind one team being a, a team that everybody's rooting for. The, you know, just the general public is rooting for as an underdog or a Cinderella. We basically have three Cinderellas and a blue blood when it comes to college <laughs> basketball. There's no hero. There's no heel yeah. either for me. I, I don't have a team in this Final Four outside of betting purposes that I'm rooting for because I like that team a lot, and I don't have any teams that I'm, oh, man, I, th- th- this team better lose on Saturday. I can't stand this team. Yeah. There's no hero. There's no heel and it's going to be interesting when we talk to John Murray around 3 o'clock today to find out if that's hamstrung at all, the amount of betting that he's seen so far this Final Four over the last few days and going into the weekend compared to Final Fours of the past. I will be um, curious to see what the bet count is involving Connecticut because everybody, again, let me bring up my buddies, John Q. Public, man. <laughs> they already got Connecticut winning the, the yeah. cutting the nets down. I mean, in I can understand it. They have blown through everybody that they have played. And I've been on Connecticut all the way through except the last one. Uh, full disclosure, I was on Gonzaga in that one. I just didn't think that Connecticut was you know, going to pull another blowout the way they did. But they've been absolutely unstoppable. But, you know. There's the old equalizer, and that that's a big number they got in that Connecticut game. Oh, you're, yeah. You're, you're paying for that success. Uh, I was I was actually hoping, we could talk about this later yeah. in the show, but I was really, I mean, it, it's probably not a good number that I was thinking about as a better and a handicapper, but it was more hope than anything else. Oh, yeah. I really wanted like six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think they're going to give it to me. I don't think it's going to get there. It's five and a half. Uh, it's been kind of like going back and forth between five, five and a half here at yeah. the Westgate. Right now it's five and a half. But I was like, when that, before the number came out, I'm like, man, I'd love to get a six and a half or a yeah. seven even out of this. <laughs> and you know, if UConn wins, and let's say they do cover against Miami, and then of course, if you know whether they draw San Diego State mm. or FAU, that line's going to be a bucket higher probably yes. than it is for this particular game for UConn. Uh, but you know, I, I didn't have that UConn game last week against Gonzaga. But I'm kind of ticked off because I did have Texas over Miami. And I'm having a late lunch, early dinner, whatever you want to call it, with my wife. And my daughter was in town for spring break. It was her last day. She was heading out that night, flying back to her college. And we're sitting there having a bite, and there's a TV on up there. And I'm like, all right, 66-53, I think it was, with about nine or ten minutes to go. 
I'm like, I'm not getting too excited, but I'm like, all right, at least I got it. Because I had had a bad couple of the rounds. Yeah. I had a real nice opening four days, <laughs> the first Thursday through Sunday. Then I got beat up after yeah. that. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm gonna. This is a good spot here. I'm up 13. I'm not going to count the chickens before they're hatched. Uh, but it sure feels good to have a double-digit lead right now. I think I, uh, I don't know, walked away or walked outside or something to grab some fresh air. And 38 seconds later, I come back in and Miami's got the lead. Yeah. And it's been a crazy tournament like that. And we've seen even Miami, Marco. We saw them in the first round against Drake, uh, which I, I didn't play Drake, but I did give them out on a show that I was doing a couple of the days before the tourney kicked off. So Drake's up by eight, four minutes to go. Uh, we saw other games like Alabama and their loss to San Diego State up by nine after a bad first half. They go up by nine. And you're thinking after a bad first half, now you're up by almost 10. They're going to pull away. Brandon Miller and company, ice cold. Uh, not that Crate never had a bad lead, a big lead, but they're up four or five all game. They go and blow cold. They go two for 17 from the three-point line. If they hit 17.6% of their threes, they beat San Diego State. Yeah. That's all they had to do. So I don't know how much of these teams, other than UConn, how much credit do you give the other three teams in the Final Four, and how much do you think it was the opposing team just kind of falling apart in the big situation? Well, one thing I'm going to point out, and I said this uh, earlier in the week with Florida Atlantic, and this was prior to the NIT final last night. Um, you had a situation where everybody automatically dismisses Florida Atlantic because, oh, you're Conference USA, you know, soft schedule, blah, 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 all that. Yeah, that's all true. But do you realize, going back to yesterday in the final four on Saturday, the final six teams that are still playing college that were playing college basketball, three of them were from Conference yep. USA. True. The, the, the NIT <laughs> yep. had a Conference USA final between the two runners up, and the team that won that conference is playing for. So, don't throw the schedule. You know, yep. they played a good schedule, okay, sure. and they did everything that they were supposed to do. Would they go through the regular season with thirty and three or right. thirty-one and three, something like that? So, you know, yeah, they're you can tab them as Cinderella, and they're fine with that. San Diego State. Do you remember when we started the tournament and TC was, he was one of the guys that was beating the drum the loudest. The Mountain West doesn't deserve to get yeah. four teams into the, you know, the big dance because of how bad it's, they've been out in the first game. <laughs> and it started off that way, you know, the first three, bye-bye. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I was on one of them, Utah State. Still not happy about that. <laughs> I thought they were going to go a little deeper. Yeah. yeah before and the, the situation is, here's San Diego State. Now, San Diego State, has come into this tournament in years past, higher seed, sure. more expected out of them, and fizzled out. Yep. But that defense is just so rock solid. And you talk about games and changing uh, leads and so forth. The NIT semifinal game, I I wasn't involved in that one, but I pity anybody that had Wisconsin in that oh game. Oh, my gosh. They went the final, what, <laughs> nine minutes and four seconds or seven <laughs> seconds without scoring a yep. bucket and, and lose by two? Yeah. You know, well, I don't have much hair, but if I was <laughs> left, if I did have Wisconsin, I wouldn't have any left after that I, game. I started growing a beard about a week ago, and it was jet black. <laughs> I bet the over 115 in the Wisconsin game about five minutes before it tipped off. Oh, Lord. My beard's now white <laughs> in that game. I, I sat there. I couldn't believe it's 41-29, gang, at the half, yeah. 70 points. The totals, you know, if you got it early, 114. You could have yeah. got as high as 115 and a half, but still. You're way over halfway getting the job done. Wisconsin doing, doing basically whatever they want on offense. And as you said, if you had Wisconsin too, you're just feeling pretty darn good. I, again, I, I, like, I don't know what I was doing. If I was like doing a show or something, I go away from the game for a little bit of the second half. And I get this text, and it, it's like Wisconsin hasn't scored in eight minutes or something like that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. So what is it now? It's 70 to 65, you know, yeah. way over the – I look at my <laughs> – oh, my gosh. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I had 70 points at the half. I'm, I'm going over 115, and they ended up scoring uh, 13 points in the second half, yeah. stays under the total, and you're just sitting there shaking your head going, you know, that's one where – you just throw it away, Marco. You don't let it stay in your brain too long because if I think about the losses at night, I, I work late at night, as you right. know, and I'm still thinking about those things. It gets you in a really ticked off mood and you're not focused at what you're supposed to be doing. So I just, that's one of those, you just crumple it up, you know, if you're an old school guy with a yeah. ticket and you just throw it away or you put it in the drawer. So when you file with the IRS, <laughs> other than that, you completely put it out of your mind uh, that you just lost that bet. And 
there's been a couple of games like that. It's getting harder to do after that first four days, that first weekend. It's been kind of tough watching some of these games. I've had guys that are, you know, they, nobody ever celebrates too early. Yeah. But you're almost there. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, again, the, the, the play that bothered me the most of any loss I had so far in the dance was that Alabama game. Yeah. Because if you play that badly and you're a contender, you're one of the top four teams or five teams that have a shot to win the national title, and you're sitting there going from a bad first half to a nine or ten point lead in the second half, usually those teams just keep building. Right. They've gotten over the hump. Whatever had them playing funky in the first half, they've gotten past it, and they move past a lesser team. Didn't happen because they did go ice cold. I, three for 27, right. something like that from the three-point line. If you combine that with what Creighton did against SDSU, you're talking five for 42? Yeah, five for 44, actually. Three-pointers. And that's partially due to the fact that San Diego State's one of the top two or three teams against the three. But you know what I think they do, Marco, and I'll ask you if you agree with this. Even if they're not in your face or in your shirt at, on, the, on the defensive perimeter and out by the three-point line when the other team has the ball, they've thrown a wrench into your system as far as you want to get up and down the floor and they don't let you. So it's like you're already aggravated from not being able to play your game, and that affects you even when you're open taking a 20-foot shot. I really do believe that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, playing San Diego State, it, it, it's a pain in the butt. Let's be honest about it because <laughs> they play that hard-nosed defense. Um, I was on Creighton in that game. I've had, a, I've had a good run with the college basketball. We're on like a 12-3 and run our last 15 in college. Nice. But that was one of the losses. I had Creighton, and what ticked me off – in that game, you don't decide that game. The referees do. You don't make that call. I know that by the letter of the law, that is a, it was a foul. Sure, but you don't call that with one second in a tie ball game. I agree. You you just and it was a foul. Saw, yeah, but it was ticky tack. It was you know it was a minor foul. Yeah, and they've been letting those two teams play the whole game. Yeah, and I think it was I think before that foul before those free throws. There were a combined between the two teams, 15 free throw attempts the entire game before that foul was called. So they're letting them play. They're letting them bang. I was watching. I didn't see the whole game, but I'm watching it. Creighton's my hometown team, so obviously I'm rooting for the Blue Jays. And, you know, that call was made. And I'm like, first I didn't think it was a foul. And then they showed it over and over. And, of course, I'm going back and forth with the remote to watch it. And I thought, okay, it was a foul. But it wasn't egregious. He didn't take anybody's head off. Kind of touched him on the hip. You can call a foul. I got no problem with that with 10 minutes to go in the game. When there's a second to go in the game, it's just you got to let it go. You do. And the big point you said is they let them play the entire game. If they were calling it like that the whole game, yeah, yeah, then okay. But they weren't. That's the problem that I had with it in, you know, again, I was a little biased because I had a ticket on Creighton in that game. So I wasn't wasn't (laughs) happy about it. And I can tell you something else that I am glad that I live in Vegas now. I spent last week on the East Coast. Okay. I hate watching sports on oh, East Coast time. Oh, time to change. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when the, you know, and the Knights played a couple, you know, right. games last week on the road, and they were, you know, 10 p.m. East right, Coast right. starts, okay? <laughs> and the wife's a big, you know, hockey fan, and, you know, so I had to find a sports bar, go, you know, go sit there and... That stinks. Yeah. It, Good buddy of mine, Marco. I've known him since like probably 1999, 2000. He's not in our business, but uh, he lived out here since 99 or 2000. I met him about a year after he moved out here. He was uh, from Connecticut and he and his wife, good friends. They moved to the Charlotte, North Carolina area last year, last summer. And so now he's three hours ahead of everything. Huge Golden Knights fan, season ticket holder. He was here, the whole thing. He's got to get up early and work now. In Charlotte, he's got to be in his office like at 9 a.m. Eastern time, which is 6 a.m. here. And he's just texting me still after a whole season and a chance to get used to it how much he hates being there because he's facing off, watching the face-offs of Golden Knight home games are on the West Coast and they play out on the West Coast at 10 p.m. East Coast time. And I couldn't do it. I'm so ingrained. I could go to work. Games get over. Baseball games, for instance, or daily college basketball. Yeah. They get over around 10 p.m. Pacific, the very latest games. Yeah. And I can plunk my rear end down at the desk in my yeah. home office and sit there until 3 in the morning if I need, if it need be and get all my stuff done and still have time to go downstairs and have a Woodford Reserve. Am I yeah. allowed to say that? Yeah. Well, I'm watching Netflix or whatever until 4 in the morning and yeah. I take a nap. But I agree with you, man. It's like it would be so tough. And I talk to guys on the East Coast, and they always say, God, you're so lucky to be on the West yeah. Coast. you know. So anyway, uh, what I was going to say real quick, and we'll talk about this a little bit more with uh, John Murray coming up in about a half hour. 
there were five teams who fit this prerequisite when the dance began. 19 of the last 20 national champions, and I'm sure a few people have already heard this, uh, were in the top 25 in Ken Palm's offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency. Uh, 19 of the last 20 years that the champion has been in that mix. Well, there was Alabama, see ya, Houston, not so cougarific. <laughs> Texas, horns weren't that long, and UCLA, who I kind of felt sorry for because I'm a big McCronin fan, yeah. and they got banged up losing Jalen Clark before the Pac-12 tournament. I think it was the first game of the Pac-12 tourney. So they lose his defensive ability, which may be the best defensive player in college basketball. They get a little bit more banged up in the Pac-12 tourney, and then, of course, they had a lead that they blew. They went ice cold against Gonzaga, looking like they're going to go on to a pretty easy win. All we got left out of that mix is UConn, 19 of the last 20 years, and UConn is all that's left. My bracket was blown up because the last few years, knowing about this situation, my bracket is full of these teams, like for this year, five teams, advancing as far as I can until they obviously have to play each other. You know where my bracket went after last week. <laughs> oh, my bracket, I'm in the one with TC, and uh-huh. uh, I was in fifth place, and I lost my team that won, that was going to win the whole thing on the first game. Right. I had Arizona. Yeah. Go, I had Arizona, oh, no. okay. I had Arizona <laughs> and Texas in, right. in the championship game. But everything else I was getting right because I was getting points with everybody else. Uh-huh. But now because you know I lost you know when you lose somebody that you have winning it, you're dead. Yeah. You know, so now I'm falling back down. And it's it's I had over Houston by the way. So yeah. oh, right. that <laughs> yeah, it was a great call. I had a really nice I'm glad to hear you're winning twelve and three. That's a great record because a lot of people are getting beat up over your last fifteen. Yeah. I had a great college basketball you know my november is in college basketball my favorite month of the year and then mid-january we really kicked it into gear two and it's been a great run up through those first four days of the dance and then i gave some back still a very good season that i'm glad to say and i'm again happy that you went 12 out of 15 uh going into the final four kudos to you because working with you all the time that November was is always my worst. I I lay low with college basketball in November. It's just my style of sure. handicapping. I need to see them play a few games. I you know we look at the stats and we but in when you're doing it in November you're speculating you right. but you're good at that. You're good at predicting what is going to happen. I need to see it first and then I make my assumptions and you know everybody. They always say there's, uh, you know, so many different ways to skin a cat, which is one of the stupidest right. sayings right. going. Who's skinning cats? But you know, gee, man, what are you doing in your free time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but not what works. Cats. And if that's always that's always worked for you. Right. My Ben, I love conference play. Yep. When oh. we hit conference play, and now the last few years we've had conference play in the month of December. Earlier, right. some conferences throw some of the conference yep. games in there, so. I get happy seeing those there, but a big second meeting. Every uh, sport that I handicap, there's about seven or eight, you know, that we all do. And every sport, I wait until I until I see enough action three weeks, two weeks into the season before I start increasing my bet levels, except college basketball. basketball. I'm firing out yeah. of the, right out of the box. It's just been one of those things that's worked. Let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to speak a lot of Major League Baseball with my good friend Doug Upstone, who's uh, he resides in Phoenix. He handles the uh, the Cactus League uh, information, sends it to us, and and that's always good each and every spring. And uh, Doug's also going to talk a little Final Four, but first we're going to pick his brains a little bit about uh, the new rule changes and what's different now when it comes to handicapping and betting in in Major League Baseball. So that'll be great. We'll have Doug. We'll have at three o'clock. We got John Murray from the Westgate, and then at three thirty, if we can pull him away from dinner. Get him to scoot away, push the table away. We'll be talking with T.C. Martin. You're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. I do exactly what I want to do. It's It's the the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Welcome back to the T.C. Martin Show, live from the Superbook at Westgate. I'm Scott Spritzer with Marco D'Angelo. If you're just tuning in, T.C. Martin, well, he's down at Houston. He's having a little bit of fun. Oh, boy, I know he's eating for three right now. There's no doubt in my mind. We're going to have T.C. Martin on in about an hour at 3.30 Pacific time. Get his thoughts on all things Houston as the Final Four moves there. And, of course, we've also got uh, we've got to talk to him a little bit about the ribs and, you know, hanging out with Dusty Baker, all that good stuff. But that will be around 3.30 today. Coming up in 30, we're going to go and talk with John Murray, uh, executive director of the Superbook here at the Westgate. Get his thoughts on what's going on this weekend with the Final Four and, and also with baseball betting, with baseball starting 
yesterday. So we got all that to go, plus Marco and I in that final half hour today before we get up to the 4 o'clock hour, we will be talking our best bets or uh, you know, our favorite plays this weekend when it comes to the Final Four and if we have any baseball thoughts Friday night into Saturday. But right now we are joined by one of the best baseball minds around as far as I'm concerned. He is Doug Upstone, DocSports.com. Solid follow on Twitter, at Doug Upstone, all one word. Doug, thanks for joining us right off the top. Rules changes kind of made a difference yesterday. No doubt about it. Opening day games, average length of two hours, 45 minutes. Last year, three hours, 17 minutes. It was just, I don't know, some of it was not bad. I could see myself maybe getting used to this stuff. How are you doing, Doug? I think he was going to say for a number of years. <laughs> I'm going to guess I'm going to go there. Uh, we'll try to get we'll try to get Doug back up there. But uh, again, as I mentioned, Marco, 32 minutes fewer per game yesterday than opening uh, opening day of last season. And one of the things that I know Doug has talked about is his thoughts, not just on that, but we'll get his thoughts on the pitch clock. But he also likes to jump into World Series long shots, and he's watched a couple of teams in the Cactus League the last few weeks leading up to the regular season, like he always does each and every year. And there was one thing I'm going to ask him if we get him back, and I'm going to throw this at you. I heard a lot of people that we know in this business this week uh, that are high on the Angels. And we'll talk to Doug about that. Doug, you back? I I think so. Can you hear me now? (laughs) There you are. And uh, I know you were going to say, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's all good. So, hey, so thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, and uh, wonderful to talk to both of you guys. I appreciate having you. One of the things I was going to toss at you here before we jump into what the rules changes meant to you yesterday and moving forward was, let's just jump right into your long shot for the World Series in case we lose you again. Uh, I know you follow, I've been telling everybody as we led up to your, your segment here, that you spend a lot of time watching the Cactus League every spring. Uh, you reside in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Uh, what do you like out of the Seattle Mariners that makes you think they're worth plunking down a few bucks on uh, that you think they could overcome the Houston Astros and the AL West and then beyond that? Yeah, the, the thing about them that, that I have seen, and I've seen the growth, you know, they've won 90 games each of the last two years. They, their whole organization has been overhauled to where they, they're making much smarter decisions. And the, bigger, or the biggest thing is the quality of the players is completely different than what they used to get. You know, uh, in 2019, they won 68 games. Like I say, they ended their playoff drought. And so there's a different look about this team. There's a different confidence that you can visually see in this team when, you, when I go to games. And their starting rotation, I think, is actually good. They got five solid guys. They got a top five bullpen. And all, even though their offense only last year was 18th in runs scored, I think, Scott, they have a very good chance to fall into the top ten. Yeah, I agree. You know, Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert, solid arms potentially for Seattle in 2023. Uh, and, and also, you know, they're 20 to 1 right now as far as to win the World Series. I saw 8 to 1 this morning, Friday morning, to win the American League. But last year, they, they got that experience, Doug. We saw a return for the Mariners into the postseason and actually get a wild card win uh, last year. You got J Rod, who, one thing about Julio Rodriguez last year, he's a new guy, obviously, last year. And. He, he got roughed up. He had a rough time. He had a learning situation last April, but he's beyond that now. And I think that gives this team an opportunity to maybe even win a few more games in April and May than we saw last year because you got a guy like that who's got a season under his belt. He's no longer going to be a little shaky, I think, at the start of the year. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And, you know, there's, there's a you – know, you can tell the superstar, Scott, when you see him in person, and you've seen this yourself, is that they have that – aura about them okay they carry themselves in a different way and he definitely does that and the other thing i think is important here is that i think robbie ray felt a lot of pressure to be the ace of the staff last year and i'm not saying he's going to duplicate his cy young season but i think he's going to be a very important pitcher for them and and perform much better this year i want to stay in that division for one minute because uh when we lost there I i was talking to marco about how you and I talked the other day. There's a lot of people and you know people I know and, and respect that have put some money down on the Angels to win the division or win the American League or even be a long-shot World Series winner or contender. 
Doug, I'm going to tell you this. I'm, you know me. I'm a longtime Angels fan. I grew up a Cardinal fan. I know you're a Cubby, so don't hate me. But uh, I grew up a Cardinals <laughs> fan when I grew up in Midwest. But I, I became an Angels fan in the early 90s. I'd already been out here uh, for a few years. Okay, the roster's better this year in 2023. I'll give them that. A little bit more depth. But, my gosh, we saw the problem again last night, Doug, out of the blocks. I'm not judging things by one game. We've seen this for a few years now. You've got Otani comes in, six shutout innings, strikes out ten. They're leading, albeit a small lead, but leading one nothing. going to the seventh. Here comes the pin. Forget about it. 0-1 already. If I'm Mike Trout, I'm already just bummed on the inside over what I'm seeing from the bullpen. Same with Otani, but at least Otani's got it out. He's going to be gone in a few months, you know, playing for the Yankees or the Dodgers or something like that. So how do... How, in your mind, do people arrive at the Angels, not for just their bullpen woes, they've also got to overcome Seattle and Houston in that division? Yeah, I, I, Scott, I, I have no idea how people, what, what they see in them. I mean, their starting rotation doesn't look bad by this, you know some of the ages of the guys and some performances, but there's no consistency beyond Otani. You mentioned the bullpen. You know, I mean, the bullpen is just a, is just a mess, and it's been a mess for years. They don't spend the money. They, they, you know, whether whether it's the pitching coach's fault, I'm not really sure. And then the everyday lineup. There are so many holes in that lineup, Scott. Oh my goodness, I don't know. I don't know how they're gonna. You know, I don't know what they're gonna do. You know, I mean, they're gonna have their periods, okay. And I think this team can win maybe 82, 83 sure. games. But you know what? You don't get into the playoffs winning 82 or 83 games. And you certainly aren't likely to catch the the Houston Astros or the Seattle Mariners, Marco. <laughs> yeah, and when you talk about the Angels, you're you're gonna talk about two players, and if either one of them get hurt. Otani exactly. or or Trout, this team for any extended period, they're in trouble. Yeah. Okay, and that's a big concern with it. I like to see a more balanced team, more depth, and that's not the Angels. When they're healthy and everybody's on the field, yeah, they're they're a contender. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be plunking money down to tie up for six months with them. Never saw a collapse <laughs> like last year. Start twenty, I think they're twenty-seven and seventeen, and then they lost like fourteen or fifteen in a row. And next thing you know, they got a new manager in the clubhouse. Right. And remember last year, going back to the Seattle, I wanted to jump in. Remember that streak they had in the middle of the season? It was right around sure. the All Star break. They had won what, yep. like fourteen in a row or something? Right. This team, you know, they are ready to take the next step. And when you mentioned Rob Gray, that happens so often. When a guy signs that big contract, that first year, it's not, and this wasn't one of those situations, you know, where he was changing leagues and so forth. You know, we all, that's an angle I always liked. If I had an oh, yeah. American League pitcher his whole career and, you know, then he signs with a National League You've team. You've been doing that forever since yeah. I've known you. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love that scenario first time through the league. But uh, Seattle, they've got all the pieces there. Sure. And it's just, they got to get past that hump with Houston, where last year they did play Houston toe-to-toe, uh, you know, with the regular season right. meetings and stuff. There wasn't that domination and intimidation. So I agree with you guys on Seattle. Let me ask you this, Doug. Otani's going to be hitting the lottery, of course, later this season, possibly a $600 million man, no exaggeration. If you're not a contender or not a true contender, as much as, I mean, Otani's my favorite player, he and Trout, you know, they both unfortunately play for the Halos. He's the best player because he can do so much. Marco mentioned, what if he gets hurt? You've lost two players if Otani gets hurt. You've yeah. lost a pitcher and a hitter. But I was going to ask you, if you're just a, a good team but not a real contender, is it a waste of money, cap space, all that stuff, to go out and sign Otani and have to pay him $600 million throughout the course of the contract? Because his greatness, Trout's greatness, hasn't done anything for the Angels. There's no pitching. So if you're kind of mediocre, don't you just stay out of the – Otani sweepstakes? Well, absolutely you do. Because, and the other thing, too, is that with, with a player like Otani, you also have to market the guy. Okay, right. Now, sure, we, we, I mean, he's a brand on his own. We understand that. But if you're going to bring him in, you're bringing him in for a specific purpose, not only just to win, but to br- bring more people to the ballpark. You have somebody to showcase. And so the number of teams that have the money to do that are few. You're talking the Yankees, the Mets. The, Do- uh, the Dodgers, and maybe San Francisco. A great spot for him, quite honestly, in terms of a draw, would be Seattle, but I don't think they have the resources in order to pull that off. I just hope he stays on the West Coast, so we, I, I don't have to you know, fly eight hours to go see him. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I know you get involved in division winners, too, sometimes, some future tickets. You got anything in a, as, a, as far as a division winner is concerned for us this year? I certainly do, and, and I got I it go, going two ways, actually, Scott. The 
St. Louis Cardinals. Now, you look at the NL Central, it is the absolutely worst division in the big leagues. Last year, I look at the, you know, they won the division last year. They were quickly eliminated, and I don't think the Cardinals necessarily are better, but then look at the rest of the division. Milwaukee has taken a step backwards the last couple of years. I think they continue to. The Chicago Cubs might be a little bit better, but 500 at best. And then we got Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, Scott. I think that kind of speaks for itself. So Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, a veteran pitching staff, too much quality in the worst division in baseball. I like them to win the division at minus 130, and I also like them at minus 220 because they're winning the division to get to the playoffs. Doug, I haven't met you yet, but man, you're 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 you know what you're doing all over my Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> but I agree with you. <laughs> the, the, actually, Marco, uh, you would never remember this, but uh, years ago at the initial Bodog convention, okay, okay uh, we actually met then just briefly. You, you were you were a star. I was just coming into my own. So yeah, that's that's what we met. A long time ago back then. When anybody asks me about Pittsburgh, I say it's the best stadium for a bad baseball team. <laughs> and, <laughs> hey, Doug, and I think you are. Right. Since, you're, since you're touting the Cardinals, I think you're a star right now, man. You've made it. But, <laughs> so last night, I'm, I, and I'll get to uh, some thoughts on the rules changes. And last night, I'm watching the Cardinals game or yesterday afternoon. And and I, I, I'm scared about Helsley, by the way, as far as the closer. I'm not sure he's got the goods to get it done, and he got beat up yesterday. Vlad Guerrero's at the plate. I forget who was pitching. It might have been Michaelis early on. It could have been Helsley late, but there was a pitch clock violation, and it felt like the home plate umpire was going to let it go. And Guerrero starts yelling. I mean, he's like getting all animated in the box. He's like pointing and everything. And, they, and so the, the umpire, what's, what's he got? He's got to do it now. Yeah. He, he's been called out by Guerrero, so he goes out there and he calls. In fact, it was the ninth inning. It was the ninth inning, and the Cardinals were leading at the time. And the umpire was forced into making that call of the pitch clock violation. And uh, so that's how it went down. And I'm like, Vlad Guerrero, I don't like you at all, man. I'm like, can't you stick up for your fellow players and let these guys play out the way they've grown used to? But no, he couldn't do it. So that leads me to this, Doug. We've seen the rule changes. We've seen 32 minutes per game opening day this year as opposed to last year being cut off from last year's game-length averages. I want to ask you how baseball has changed besides the new rules over the last decade or so how things have changed and how it's changed your handicapping, the way you bet games, because, boy, there are some definite changes in players and rules over the last decade plus. Yeah, specifically, Scott, we'll uh, talk about going to spring training games. As, as, you, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and literally every year I try to see every team at least once, and I end up seeing some of them twice, uh, despite all the basketball and everything we all have to do uh, this time of year. But the, the biggest change I've seen is that during, you know, after the steroid era, I should say, and then during the run of the San Francisco Giants winning World Series, the size of the players started to change dramatically, along with the athleticism of the players, which I think everybody would, everybody did agree at that time. There wasn't a lot of necessarily great athletes in baseball. And so I distinctly remember 2016, which, by the way, was the year the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. I went to a game. And I was, I got there early for some reason and they were, both teams were running in the outfield and here's the Cubs running in the outfield. They had all these guys that were six foot two to six foot five. You could just see the athleticism pouring out of them and they were playing the White Sox and the White Sox had all these guys that were like six feet or six one, about 180 pounds. And it's like it, the, the contrast couldn't have been any more stark. Okay. And that for me meant that's what I really started to see. And this is something that I look for is teams, you know, that have, that have added size that have added athletes across the board, not just six foot five pitchers, mm. but across the board. Makes me think of John Cruck. I'll never forget John Cruck telling the story uh, when he's at a hotel. I don't know. His team was playing somewhere. He's at a hotel in another city and he's, you know, obviously going down to the ground floor or whatever, the lobby in the, in the uh, elevator. And he said he was, like eating on the elevator still. And of course, John Cruck wasn't known for being svelte throughout his career. <laughs> and some lady in the elevator says to him, what are you doing, man? She's like, you're a, you're a professional athlete. And he goes, ma'am, I'm a baseball player. I'm not a professional athlete. <laughs> and he continued to eat and all that kind of good stuff. And he's told that story several times. It is different. You used to see 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. 
being your starting pitcher. And you know, growing up, who's the best athlete on every baseball team you played on? It's the yep. starting pitchers. And, and of course, it changes a little bit, Major League Baseball, because they're so focused on uh, their repertoire on the mound to get the ball over the plate. Uh, but you're right, man. You see you see big guys now, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, 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 who can motor around the bases. So Tani comes to mind again, who can also go deep, who can also spray the ball around the field. Just a totally different athlete. So one thing that took place yesterday, and Marco and I hit on this a bit at the top of the show, the stolen bases, we all knew it would pick up, and yesterday was a perfect example. There were 23 stolen base attempts opening day yesterday. 21 were successful, or over 91%. There were 11 stolen base attempts on opening day last year. Six were successful, or 54.5%. What a change. Do you expect this to see an increase in totals as far as where the books are making them and we'll ask John Murray this at the top of the hour do you see yourself maybe staying away from unders that you would have played on in the past if there's some speed burners on the teams that you're playing yeah I I think it's going to be a gradual thing and and I think it's going to really I think what you're going to see the teams are going to figure out how to do a a number of things but the one thing I've always seen Scott and and, you know there's there's windows of opportunity but they're not necessarily large so if if there's going to if we're going to see an increase of scoring and an increase of of in numbers or in totals, sports books very quickly adjust. And so, like I said, I don't think the window is going to be that large. You might find some instances, but I think one of the things that's overlooked in, in all of this is that you know a lot of talk about the bases. But I think the thing is going to be the thing is with the pitchers having to get rid of the ball in 15 seconds is that the base runners can have an advantage because they can start to cheat as the clock winds down because they can't throw the first, you know. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to really change, and it's going to uh, keep changing throughout the course of the year. I think a lot of base runners are going to take advantage of this. A lot of adjustments we're all going to have to make. You, me, Marco, everybody who's betting these games throughout the course of the first couple of months, I would think. And we'll also see if things settle down a little bit. You know, these snitches like Vlad Guerrero calling out a pitch clock violation. You know, we're going to see if the umpires kind of relax on that in late innings, you know, in the ninth inning of a close game. Are they going to call it at 15 seconds or 16 seconds? Are they going to let a couple of seconds click off the clock before they finally are forced to call it? It's going to be an interesting watch over the first month or so of the season. Before we let you get away, Doug Upstone, i got to ask you about uh, the big dance, about what we're going to see the next couple of days, the Final Four on Saturday, of course, Monday night's national championship. Uh, If you're an underdog player, Listen, Marco's done really well over the last couple of weeks, and if you like the dogs, you're doing okay uh, the last couple of weeks in the big dance. How have you looked at this Final Four that's about to take place in 24 hours, and do you see anything that jumps out to you that looks like a definite play, whether it be a side, a total, or a prop? Well, the one thing I like uh, is a side, and it's it's going against the general public, generally speaking, here on this one, and that's Connecticut and Miami. Now, both of these teams average uh, right around 60 points per game. Miami's at about 79 points, uh, and UConn's right there also. Now, Miami in their first three games, Scott, they gave up 41.3% uh, shooting percentage, and then Texas hit them for 50. But if you look at the course of the season, Jim Laranega teams don't give up that percentage two games in a row all season long. Now, Connecticut, we know how good their defense is. We've seen it all year long, giving up 64 points per game. I look at both of these teams. I see them getting close to right around 70 points. The total's at 149. I think it's going to top out at 147. I got Miami 6-0 and under in away games when they give up, uh, after scoring, excuse me, 75 or more points in three straight games. And the Huskies are 7-1 and under in away games after covering the spreads three straight times, Scott. Good stuff. Doug, we really appreciate having you and talking some Major League Baseball and of course, Doug and I do a lot of uh, a lot of videos over the course of the summer talking a little bit of baseball, and you can find Doug on Twitter at Doug Upstone. It's all one word, U-P-S-T-O-N-E, or you can find his work over at DocSports.com. Doug, appreciate your time. Marco and I, we're, you know, we're NL Central guys, too. We're not going to hold it against you that you root for the Cubbies every year. <laughs> I appreciate that, guys. I really do. Thanks for having me. Take care, Doug. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Doug's a good guy, Marco. I got to tell you, you know, he always, I get these texts from, from the Cactus League games every single spring since I've known Doug, which has been about five years now, and he's been around this business for you know, 20 plus years. But he's always giving me these little tidbits. I still won't bet preseason baseball. How about you? I have only <laughs> bet one preseason game one time, and it was 
my good buddy we talked about earlier, Brian Leonard, we showed up at the ballpark and they, you know, they post the the starting lineups there, you know, on a right. chalkboard, you know, we're looking and Brian does bet preseason baseball and he said, Oh, we gotta bet this team. They're not the other team's got all because you know, he goes to the minor league. They're playing the whole minor league squad directly. Blah, blah, blah. And it was real good for the first three innings. We were up like four or nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> the floodgates opened up after that, and that was my first and last preseason baseball game because when they got to the bench, it was not pretty. <laughs> I, I, I think I probably made my I'm going to say maybe my fifth exhibition bet of my life and my last, though, probably around 2009. It was one of those. And I could see, though, if you're at the games, man, if you're down in Arizona or you're in Florida, Grapefruit League, and you're at the games where you're going to be a little tempted to plunk down some action just to make it a little bit more entertaining. And, uh, you know, that's not a bad idea. Real quick Cubs story, because I was talking with Doug about this the other day. He grew up in Chicago as a big Cubs fan. And my dad was a big Cubs fan growing up in Omaha, which is where he grew up also. You were usually a Cardinal fan or a Royals fan, but he was a big Cubby fan. He'd be out in the garage tinkering around, working on stuff. He was one of those guys who liked to tinker and all that. And he'd have the Cubs broadcast on, Harry Carey in the early 80s when he came over to Chicago. And that great broadcast partner, Steve Stone, I used to love that, that pairing. Uh, and uh, I used to give my dad a hard time about it, but I actually did love Harry Carey and Steve Stone working together. So, big fan. So, I move out here and right out of high school in 84, and six years later, after going through school and getting radio jobs and all that kind of stuff, I get asked to do to co-host the Stardust line, 1991. So I'm down in the Stardust. There's all these players down there, you know, and I'm talking athletes. I'm talking about betters, big-time players, the whole shebang. I'm like 23 at the time. And so I'm just getting used to getting around these guys. And so what happens, my dad starts saying things like this. He goes, well, can you get me a $5 future on the Cubs when you're at the Stardust? <laughs> of course, he had moved out here by then and retired. I'm like, I'm at the start, the Stardust. You think I'm going to walk up to the counter and get, I want a $5 bet? on the? <laughs> so I made him get his own bets. Uh, he still talked to me. Yeah. Anyway, he passed away in 2012, and with him, we buried a Cubs future, uh, a Cubs cap, and a Budweiser. Got a picture of Harry Carey, by the way. And I'm telling you, when they won it four or five years later, I know my dad was up there trying to cash that ticket that had post-dated four years earlier. So there you go, my little Chicago Cubby story. Anyway, he's Marco D'Angelo. There you go. He's Marco D'Angelo, and you can find his work at wagertalk.com. Marco in Vegas, correct? Yes. Marco in Vegas on Twitter. I'm over at DocSports.com. And, of course, at Scott Wins. Not being cocky, G-Man, when I say at Scott Wins. I just don't know how to spell that last name, and nobody else does. So there you go. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to jump into Major League Baseball betting. We're going to jump into the Final Four, find out what's going on behind the counter uh, with the Westgate's John Murray. Stick around, everybody. He's Marco. I'm Scott. We'll be back in a flash. 